My name is Greg Martin. I'm a member of the preaching team here at Clarkston Community Church. Um, in preparation for today's sermon, I had to do some reflection, and I realized that in 2018, this is the ninth time I've preached at Clarkston Community Church. If you don't know, <laughs> easy. You haven't heard the sermon yet. Settle down. Um, I, I, I was in ministry and worked at a church for 12 years and stopped doing that in 2012. And if you know my story, you know that I uh, uh, founded an organization that does disaster relief and kind of got out of the preaching business until Pastor Greg uh, took me to breakfast one morning and pulled me back into the preaching business. And um, I just want to say that it has been an honor and a privilege, and I want to say thanks for you to you for letting me into your life in this little tiny small way. Um, there, there are times where I may accuse or challenge you in a way that you, that, um, may be out of bounds, but for the most part, I'm doing my best to try to figure out what God has to say to me. And in that case, uh, bring it to you. And hopefully it's been some sort of blessing in your life because I know that through it, God has abundantly blessed my life. And so, uh, for 2019, I don't know if I can get to 10, um, but we're going to, we're going to stick with nine for 2018. Um, and I wanted to say as a thank you, I wanted to get everybody a gift. And so when you walked in, you got a, a beautiful gift. I didn't wrap it. I apologize. Uh, I did wash them all yesterday. And if you got one, some of you may have said, I'm not touching those. So if you got one, let me ask you during the sermon, can you just hold it in your non-throwing hand? Just, just keep it in your non-throwing hand and let it be a, a token of appreciation from me to you uh, for letting me be uh, in your life. But with that said, uh, we are going to start the sermon, so here we go. 2018, how will we remember it? Will we remember 2018 for the year that Freddie Mercury and Lady Gaga took over the big screen? Will we remember 2018 for a midterm election that I don't even really remember what happened? In the, the, uh, I remember it took over my life for about three months. Regionally, will we remember it for the Union AdWorks opening just another amazing restaurant here in Clarkston? Will we remember 2018 for whatever the Lions did again? Oh, wow. So, gee, sorry about that. Um, as a church, will we re what will we remember? Will we remember the dozens of service opportunities where Clarkston community came together and made a difference in the community through organizations or through mission trips? Will you remember retreats as youth and youth counselors that uh, scarred you for life? Will you remember that this is the year where we had two pastors who were on staff who were called to different ministries and another pastor who was added to the staff to join our ministry and, and the evolution of our church as we continue to grow and serve this world? Will it be those things? Probably not. No offense to anything that happened there, but more than likely we will remember this year as something um, where something happened to you. Something that you were personally invested in, that uh, you put your time into, that you put your heart into, and whatever happened in that scenario, that's the first thing that you'll remember this year for. And New Year's Eve is always the time to reflect on that. It's the year everybody's writing year in review articles about 
pop culture, about sports, about life, about religion, about the world. And so we do some reflection. Every social media platform has a, a thing that you can go on and it will, put, it will compile your pictures. It will compile your statuses. It will, com- it will do a year in review video that's 60 seconds. And let's be honest, we all watch them, right? We, we check out the year in review. We check out what happened. And so I wonder how 2018 will be remembered by the few hundred that are in this room. Mostly stuff that's happened to you. And 2019 comes, and of course, that's when resolutions happen. In 2013, I actually made 100 New Year's resolutions. I'm not, even, I'm not even kidding. It started with a few, then I added more, and then I decided I needed a round number. And so I just started adding, and I eventually made a, a poster board in my apartment that was 10 by 10, and I wrote each resolution in each box. And as I would finish one or do one or get one completed, I would X the box. And I got through 2013, I believe I got 92 of them. Yeah, so somebody really needed a life is really what happened there. Um, Two weeks ago, I was at a wedding that I was DJing. I was uh, in formal wear, black suit, and uh, a song came on, and typically the DJ doesn't dance with the people from the wedding, but uh, it was a song I knew, and the party needed some livening up, so I got on the floor, and I started dancing, and I hit one move, and in the middle of that one move, I heard a pop. Yeah, it wasn't a muscle, it was my pants. It didn't. It wasn't a rip. It was straight from the belt loop to like I had air coming in the front. It was, it was blown. Fortunately, I was wearing black underpants. So it was a dark room. So as soon as I felt the pop, I immediately realized it and slowly moonwalked off the dance floor and threw my jacket back on. I'll remember 2018 for that, but that will also mean that my resolution for 2019 will be to get a smaller butt or a bigger pants. It's that time of year. Review what's gone, look to what's ahead, make some choices, make some decisions. I thought today would be a good day for that. As a church, today would be a good day for that. There's a couple stories in scripture I wanted to go through uh, because I feel, feel like they pertain specifically to us and maybe stuff that we need to think about or do or look at. And so uh, up on the screen is going to be Matthew chapter 26. We're going to start in verse 6, and uh, this is right at the end. This is the Thursday before the crucifixion. So the disciples have been with Jesus for three years, and they've kind of got it down. They've kind of understood the message of Jesus Christ and what, what he is bringing to earth. He's bringing heaven to earth. He's He's bringing love to the unloved. He's reaching out to those who have never been reached out to before. He's uh, making connections with the ostracized. He's forgiving sin. He's healing the sick. He's raising the dead. He's feeding those who have needs. He's bringing a new hope to a world that needed a new hope. And tomorrow will be the day where that all comes to a head. And so they don't totally get that. They're sitting in a room after three years, and the story goes, verse 6, while Jesus was in Bethany, in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head 
as he was reclining at the table. Now, I want to just give some context to this because this may sound weird if I was at someone's home at a dinner party and someone poured perfume on me. I would be thrown off a little bit. But in this culture and in this time, this was an act of three things. Uh, health, one of honor, and one of consecration. So it was not abnormal for the honored guest of a home or a party to be anointed with some sort of oil. And the oil was supposed to uh, theoretically bring health, um, but also was to show that they were the guest of honor. And in some cases, it was to consecrate. It was to prepare for something big. And so this woman obviously knew that something big was about. There was something in the air. It is the Thursday before crucifixion Friday. And so she comes to honor him, and she takes an alabaster jar, which is, uh, it is, it is a vase, it's a translucent white rock that, that if you make it, it's not going to be a tiny thing. It's going to be, this is a, when they say alabaster jar, what they're saying is this is a lot of perfume. And then they also say this is expensive perfume. This isn't just oil that you would consecrate everybody with. This is like the good stuff. I interned at a church in Memphis when I was in college. And there was um, an assisted living home for uh, developmentally challenged adults that would regularly bring their residents to church. And they had a section. It was called the Friends section because it was the Friends group. And uh, the church adored them and took them under the wing and uh, incorporated them into a lot of the, uh, the ministries of the church. And there was one day specifically where at service they had um, communion. And when they did communion, what they would do is they would bring everybody to the altar and everyone would kneel along the altar. And then the four pastors would take the bread and the juice and they would take it along the altar and everyone would, would rip a piece off of an existing loaf of bread and they would dip it into a cup. That's how they did communion at this church. Well, the bread that they got was not your standard issue bread. There was a local bakery whose owner was a member of the church and he said, if you want to use our bakery for communion, we would be honored and we will provide it at no charge. And they made good stuff. Like they got, uh, they had the sourdough stuff that we regularly have is big. And you, and uh, anyhow, that was communion. So communion was something we would look forward to. And there was one particular Sunday where they were doing communion and the friends group came and they were along the altar and one of the assistant pastors left her mic on, open mic, and so they were serving communion, and they served to one of the people, and they moved to the next one. And as they moved to the next one, the resident jumped over the juice, almost knocking it over, reaching for the bread. And you hear him in her open mic go, that's good stuff. And we were like, yeah, that's good stuff, right? So when this woman brings the perfume to Jesus, she brought the good stuff. And she honored him. She consecrated him there in the room. Verse 8. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. The disciples kind of get it. Let's, let's take everything we have. Let's take all our possessions. Let's sell them to... 
and, and use that money and help the people who have need. Let's take, let, let's be Robin Hood in a sense. Let's, let's take what we have and pool it and make sure that no one is without because we live in a gospel. We follow a God that is a God who provides. And so let us be the conduits of that. And how dare she take this expensive jar and just waste it. Just waste it. This year, when you think of 2018, is there anything that you think of when you go, that you think, man, that, that was a waste? Do you have relationships in your life where you have invested hours and hours and hours and the thing just went south? And you think to yourself, God, I put so much time in. What a, what a waste. Did you have a creative project that you poured yourself into and you cared about it? It was something that like there was a stirring inside you and you, you came close to finishing and there were impediments and obstacles and you'd show it to people and, and the basic general response that you felt was, eh. and you're like, I poured myself into this. What a waste. Do you have a job that you love and maybe there's a potential promotion out there and you're you're doing everything you can to show your bosses that you are uh, worth a look for a potential promotion to that position, and they're just not looking at it. And, and, and you're putting all your time, you're staying late, you're, you're, you're covering for other people who are getting the credit, even though you're the one, and no one is recognizing it. And you, in a quiet moment, think to yourself, God, this is a waste. Have you poured yourself into anything in 2018 that in, respect, in, in, in uh, retrospect seems wasteful? We've all been there. We've all put our time into someone or something or some calling, some group, some program, and we've all started to become conditioned to this idea that we should be efficient, that we should get good return on investment. If I put this much time in, I should get this much out of it. There should be an equal in and out situation. So if I pour myself into it and it doesn't happen, then automatically my brain sees it as wasteful. I'd never been in the business world uh, until this year when we had to open the coffee bucket. I always done nonprofit. Now this is a for-profit thing. And we're looking at, all right, if we promote the, the coffee shop this way, will we get a good ROI? Do we get enough – will there be enough people that come – after our promotion that will make it worth putting the money in so that we will get a return on it? Or is our money seemingly going nowhere? Is your relationship with God at a place where you have things in your world where you are praying for them and nothing seems to happen? And it feels like you've said the same prayer 18 times. And every time you say amen, you're like, is anything coming from this? Or was this a waste? Could I have used my time better? And these disciples see this woman who, take this, who takes this large jar uh, of very strong aroma, right? She pours this on Jesus, and it's not lost on anybody else because the entire room is filled with this aroma. Oh, that's, that's the good stuff. She just poured the good stuff on him. That could have that could have made some money. That could have helped some people. That what a waste. 
And Jesus' response is a little different. Verse 10, aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not, or you will not always have me. Jesus recognizes this act that this woman has done, not as wasteful, but as godly. She has honored God in the way that she knows how. Was there a more efficient way to do it? Maybe. Could she have gotten a cheaper perfume? Could she have gotten a smaller bottle? Could she have done this in some other way? Maybe, but this mattered to her. And so she took the good stuff and she poured it all out. She didn't leave a thing. And that goes so counter to our efficiency productivity model that we are so conditioned to have, not just in work, but in life, in our relationships. That if I spend this much time with my dad, we better have a good relationship. If I spend this, if I work this hard on this one relationship that would make life better for everybody else around us, that I better see some results. I need to see the results. And we are so tied to these results. Another thing that I, I want to say is, and maybe this will connect with you. The disciples say, why this waste? Maybe uh, we'll put it this way. How could she have spent so much on this? Were there times in 2018 where you felt spent? Like you spent, like the, the word spent means that you have a certain amount that you have and you are allocating based on what all you have in your resources. But what if you got out of that mindset and thought, you know what, my resources are just mine, but if I belong to God, then there are abundant resources that God will provide above and beyond all of my needs. That instead of looking at all I have here, I look at God and go, oh, God's got it all. So I'm not going to hold, I'm, I'm not going to think of this as spending. I'm just passing it along. I'm not advocating for emptying your 401k and finding somebody to give it to. Of course not. But what I'm saying is when we operate from a stance of limited resources, we are we become not generous. We become not plugged into the situation and we become the least likely person in the room to pour it out. To pour it all out. So today, we're going to go back to an Old Testament story in a second, but I want to say, is there something in 2018 that you look back and you say, man, I, I wasted my time, I wasted my resources, I wasted the energy into this person or into this thing or into this project. I, I put so much into it and nothing came out of it and it's wasteful. Let me first challenge you and say, it's not wasteful if it's what you're called to do. If God's called you to be in someone's life, if God's called you to love someone dramatically, if God's called you to create because he needs your work to, so that his glory can be seen by the people in your world, if he's called you to that, that is never a waste. Stop looking at the results. Those are God's jobs. 
Our job is to be faithful to the calling. And so anytime you put energy or effort or money or whatever it is into something that God's called you to do, never see that as a waste. See that as faithfulness. Do not be like the disciples who are not totally getting it. They see it from a stance of limited resources, but we live in, in service to an abundant God who gives abundantly. Let me give a specific example. This year, Hurricane Florence was huge. It was one of the biggest storms that Draw has ever had to respond to. By the way, if you're new and you know who I am, I run an organization that's called Disaster Relief at Work, and we respond to natural disasters around the country with supplies and volunteers to help those people get back toward normalcy. So Hurricane Florence hits all along the Carolinas, and it hits a massive area. City after city after city is flooded. People who have never had to worry about water in their homes have 13 feet high water in their homes, and they don't have anywhere to go because why would they have flood insurance? There's never been a flood before. And so it was this massive undertaking to get team after team to New Bern, North Carolina, where people had to be rescued the night of the hurricane, or Wilmington, North Carolina, where highways were closed for two weeks leading up to when we got there because the water was so high. We sent semi-trucks down. We got everybody around here. Look, tons of you guys came out to the warehouse at some point to help us collect inventory, stock buckets. We had multiple news organizations come out. We had the Detroit Pistons come out. That's right, two of them. But still, two of them came. And we loaded this giant, and, and, and Chrysler sent employees, and it was just organization after organization got on board and it was like we were calling in every favor we could so we could help as many people as we could in the Carolinas after Hurricane Florence and after the third team went it was three weeks later and it was the biggest response we'd ever had to a storm and we got done and we're like ah oh, there was that moment we're like this is impressive and then the next day I look on Twitter and there's a, a storm brewing in the Gulf called Hurricane Michael and it's two days from hitting the Gulf and I have to tell you, being there firsthand, it was the worst storm damage I've ever seen in my six and a half years of working with Draw. And we just pulled all the energy and resources we could, and we loaded this semi-truck. And we had started to collect some back. We had to restock our shelves. But we're not a big, we're not a big operation, right? Like, stocking our shelves takes a little bit of time. And Hurricane Michael hits. And we've got another semi-truck willing to take stuff down. But I'm like, are we going to be able to fit? And I look at our warehouse people. And we look at our shelves. Well, I remember this day sitting in the warehouse. And typically when we send responses, we send them in, in uh, pallets. And we try to always keep 50 to 100 buckets back in the case of another storm happening. And we had... We had dwindled, after Florence, dwindled our warehouse almost to nothing, and we were trying to build it back up, but there wasn't much. And here's this massive storm, and we looked at each other, and I said, well, what do we send? They need more than we can send. And we just went, well, let's just empty the shelf. In the first time since draws existed, it was the first time we said, let's, let's empty the room. Let's give everything we got, because they need it. You know, what are we holding it back for? Let's just load the semi and go. So two days later, we had another group that came in, 
and we literally emptied our shelves of finished buckets. Sent a little over 600 buckets along with a ton of tarps and a ton of bins and a ton of things that people could use in the immediate aftermath. And our shelves were empty. Emptier than they've ever been. And a month later, the California wildfires hit. Big wildfire, people evacuating all over the place. And it's like, again? And without even me noticing, groups had started to slowly drop stuff off at the coffee shop. Here's some supplies we collected. Another group came out of nowhere. Here's some stuff. One uh, company emailed me out of nowhere and said, here's a check to buy whatever you need. And it was the biggest single check that Draw's ever gotten. And we restocked. We thought we had come to the end of our resources, but when we thought we were at our end, God just kept going. And we sent another load out to California after the wildfires. When you live in the attitude of limited resources, you will act the opposite of generous. But if you understand that God is the one who provides all things, that is supporting all things, that is leading all things, if he's calling you to something, do not just kind of pour it out. Pour it all out. Trusting that God will continue to refill what it is that needs to be refilled. This woman, the day before, 24 hours before Jesus would lay in a burial tomb, came with the most expensive stuff she had, and she poured it out. And the disciples, not totally getting it, said, this seems wasteful. And Jesus says, you don't quite get it. If you're honoring me, if you're doing as I call you to do, if you're following me, there is no waste. This is not waste. This is faithfulness. And so, for 2019, is there someone in your life that you need to invest more in, but you're a little hesitant? Because are we going to go down that road again? I've, I've tried with him. I've tried with him over and over, and it goes nowhere. If God's calling you into that, don't let the lack of results hold you back. Because if God's calling you to it, then the faithfulness is your side of it. The results is his side. Is there someone, is there a family member, a co-worker, a neighbor, uh, a guy on the preaching team at church? Is there someone that you go, ah, should I really invest in this person anymore? Is it even worth it? Let me urge you to look at the woman at the alabaster jar and say, pour it out. If God's calling you to it, pour it out. Is there a project that has been burning in your gut for weeks, for months, for years, and you, you think, if I put myself into that, it really, I, I don't know, Greg, that seems like a lot. Maybe I, I'll, I'll keep what I got going on here, but then I'll also try to do both of these things and I'll straddle the fence. And I would encourage you to look at the woman with the alabaster jar and say, if God's calling you to it, he will provide for it. Is there a position? Is there a mission? Is there a calling that you're kind of doing? Is there a faith that you're kind of following? 
that when you read this, you go, oh, I'm not pouring my whole alabaster jar out. I'm just giving a few drops. Let me encourage you for 2019. Let that be your resolution to say, I'm going to be like that woman. I'm going to do what God's called me to do, and I'm going to pour it out. Why? I'm going to turn back to Joshua. I'm going to finish with this story. So we're familiar with the story of the Jews, how Moses uh, rescued them from uh, Pharaoh, and how they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. God had promised them a land, and they never had land. They just kept wandering. And even to the point of Moses' death, they had never settled in the land that God had promised them. And so a new leader comes along. His name is Joshua. Joshua takes the baton from Moses. And when God calls Joshua to be the leader, he starts by doing a thing, and I'm going to use a really fancy, weird term that I would never use. It's called, I'm going to see if I can get this, emphatic, Semitic, triplet. An emphatic, Semitic, triplet. What is that? That's a... Uh, style of writing that happens in Old Testament Hebrew scriptures that where the writer will say the same thing three times in a row. Holy, 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 are you God Almighty? We're familiar with times where they say the same thing three times in a row. It's their way of saying, this is important. When you're reading all this, pay attention to this triplet right here. And the triplet happens twice in the book of Joshua. In the first chapter and the last chapter. In the first chapter, God pulls Joshua in to take over for Moses, and he's giving him the pep talk, Joshua chapter 1. In verses 6 through 9, he says this phrase three times in a row. Be strong and of good courage. Be strong and of good courage. Be strong and of good courage. He's basically saying to Joshua, strength and courage. These are the things I need you to be to lead my people to the promised land. It sticks out. And over the course of the next 14 chapters, there are a series of battles that Joshua, through the leading of God, gets the Israelites to win. And eventually, by chapter 15, they're starting to settle the promised land. They're getting to the land that God promised them way before, generations before. And so he's divvying up the land, and the tri this tribe will live here, and this tribe will live here. And if you go over the, uh, the book of Joshua, it's like... It's like the third uh, movie of a trilogy. It's like the Lord of the Rings three. It's like the it's it's the it's where all the everything comes to fruition, right? This promise has has lived from Abraham and has gotten all the way to Joshua, and now they are there and they've settled it and they've done it, and God led them. He came through, and in the last chapter of Joshua, Joshua gathers everyone together. Like this is the end. This is the final monologue. And he reminds them of all the battles that God had won for them. And every time he mentioned a battle, he would say, listen, we, no way could we have done this. If you're, One battle, for example, if you remember Jericho, there was one where uh, God instructed them to just blow horns and the walls came down. That's not a physical thing that normally happens. That had to be a God thing, right? And so he's reminding them over and over of God's faithfulness to lead them to get to this place. You wandered for decades and here we finally are. And so he reminds them of all the things. And he gets to verse 14. He says, Now, fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites 
in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Then the people all gathered there, all the leaders, everybody says, far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord, our God himself, who brought us and our parents up out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites, who lived in the land. We, too, will serve the Lord because he is our God. So they respond once by saying, we'll serve the Lord. Joshua's response, you are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive you rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end to you after he has been good to you. Joshua's response yeah, I don't believe it. They say, we will serve the Lord. Joshua's like, I don't think so. I, I'm not sure I'm, I'm going to see that from you. But the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said, you are witnesses against yourself that you have chosen to serve the Lord. And they said, yes, we are witnesses. Then Joshua says, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord and obey him. There it is. Three times emphatically, we will serve the Lord. Why, is the writer, why does the writer put this like this? Because he wants to emphasize this is important. After God has completely come through, after these people have taken the wide-angle lens to the last 50 years and seen all that God has done, they go, okay, yeah, no, we will serve the Lord. And so at this point, on that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people there at Shechem. He reaffirmed reaffirmed for them decrees and laws. And Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. Then he took a large stone in your non-throwing hand. Then he took a large stone and he set it there under the oak near the holy place of the Lord. See, he said to all the people, this stone will be a witness against us. It has heard all the words the Lord has said to us. It will be a witness against you if you are untrue to your God. And then Joshua dismissed the people. There was a thing in the Old Testament that uh, we often refer to as an Ebenezer. And it happens over and over. It happened when Jacob wrestled with God. Uh, it happened uh, after God provided a ram when Abraham brought Isaac up on the mountain where the event would happen, God would be faithful, and then the person that God was faithful to would put a rock there and they would name it. Gilgal, you know, Bethel, they would name it and they would say, this rock witnesses to the faithfulness of God and what I will do because of it. And after that emphatic Semitic triplet, after the people said, we will serve the Lord, we will serve the Lord. We, after all God's done, we will serve the Lord. They are emphasizing it. And so Joshua says, well, here's this stone and it will bear witness. By taking the wide-angle lens to God's faithfulness, we will serve the Lord. And so I'm going to witness to this stone. And this stone, every time we walk past it, our generations past me will see this stone. And they will go, oh, that's the stone that they named fill in the blank because that's where God was faithful. And that story gets passed down from generation to generation. So today, in 2019, where do you need to pour it out. What is the thing that you need to pour it out to? If you're here and you need to be convinced 
that God's calling on your life is the best possible way to live. It's the best possible way to love. It's the best possible way to get joy. If you need me to convince of that, then you, this isn't your sermon. I'm sorry. But if you know that God's calling is the real reason for your existence, and you know that to be faithful to that, there's something you have to do, but you're hesitant. You're fearful. You're straddling the fence. You're not all in on what it is that he wants you to do, whether it's loving a specific person or a specific project or a very mundane calling. Whatever it is that you know you've been created for and you're straddling the fence, then be reminded of 24 hours before our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is crucified on a cross, dead and buried. And a woman comes to him and pours it out. All of it. It wasn't waste. Your time is not waste. Your energy is not waste. Your resources are not waste. If God's called you to a thing, there's no such thing as waste because he will provide all that you need. What is it in 2019 that you need to pour it out? 